Continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 111, Drawing Your Way to Continuous Improvement with Ashton Rodenheiser. As a lean leader, I have facilitated countless meetings and events. Truth be told, I'm a messy and disorganized note taker with dreadful handwriting. So I have a lot of respect for the people who can record the work and results of a meeting in graphic form that really tells a story. Ashton Rodenheiser is an experienced graphic communicator and she joined me at the Edges of Lean to share her story and give us some ideas about bringing more images into how we capture meetings. Ashton Rodenheiser, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's so nice to have you here today. And I'm very interested in what you have to tell us because one of the challenges of my whole um, internal and external consulting career has always been uh, taking notes while I'm facilitating and the struggle I have with my dreadful left-handed handwriting, uh, which goes uphill and downhill and all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to really get into uh, you telling us what it is you do and um, how you can help people with all of that. But before we do that, please tell us about Ashton. Yeah, so I I live in Canada in an old farmhouse on a hill with my husband and three kids. Rural living, living in the country is pretty important to me. So I always like to mention that. Um, yeah, and I have my own business called Mind's Eye Creative, and I do graphic recording and graphic facilitation practices for lots of diverse groups, including like small nonprofits to Fortune 500 companies and everyone in between. So yeah, it's a, it's been a fun ride. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. But so Ashton, how did you get into that? Is your background in art or something else? Yeah, so my background, um, I kind of learned that this was a thing as working at a nonprofit and learning a lot about like community development and facilitation. And my last few years, I was at that organization, I moved into a facilitator role. And I really fell in love with group process and how to ask interesting questions to get insights from people and feeding back in words what those insights are for them. And then a few years after doing that, I moved back home. I was introduced to a term which I hadn't even experienced before uh, around graphic facilitation. And I started diving into that and kind of the rest was history, to be honest with you. Wow. So, so you were introduced to the term. Did you see it happening? Were, did, were you in a meeting where somebody was using that? Honestly, no. So no? I, I know I attended a one day workshop and it was around graphic fundamentals and started to kind of just sort of play around with how to make these really simple marks to help elevate those ideas that I had been doing in those conversations for so long. And I kind of left that one day workshop being like, this is awesome. Um, and even though I had never actually seen it before, I wow. just started diving into it and getting connected with people around the world who do it and started attending conferences for people who do this type of thing. And, 
And yeah, really just started over those first few years, really submerged myself into sort of the community of it all. And it's such a beautiful industry to be a part of because everyone's so kind and helpful and loving and wonderful. And, and yeah, so that, that was just kind of worked out perfectly in that sense and very welcoming to new people in this space. And yeah, I'd always been very creative, but I never really thought that being a like quote unquote professional artist or pursuing art as like a job was possible. I think there was just too much negativity around it and too much of the starvist artist mentality kind of like, you know, put into my brain that I just didn't think it was possible for me. So when I was introduced into it, I thought it was such a beautiful coming together of, I think, this secret artist that I wanted to be when I grew up (laughs) and this beautiful world of facilitation that I really fell in love with. And the two of those coming together for me was just like a perfect match. Were you a doodler as a kid? I definitely was a doodler. I And I also call myself a dabbler. So a doodler I, and a dabbler. Tell us about yeah, that. So the dabblerness of me is like, I've, I've tried many different art mediums. So medium is like mm. a type, right? So I, I really got into, I was like, I was 10 years old cross stitching. And then I really got into knitting. That's how I met my husband in the library at school. I was knitting and I uh, painted a whole bunch of things. Like I have Christmas ornaments that I painted on ceramics from when I was really little. And I did needle felting for a while. And then I got into encaustic for a while, which is like wax painting. So I've tried like pretty much you name it. I probably tried it, whether I tried it for a day, a week or a year or longer, um, I, I was kind of like, I'm a bit of like a jack of all trades, master of none when it comes to all of these different art mediums. But the, the thing that I, I didn't realize until not that long ago is that I, I think the reason why I struggled with a lot of those mediums is because I'm a very impatient person. And like, if you're doing needle felting, you're working for hours on a one tiny little thing because you have to stab it and forever right yeah so, um so when I found this world of like graphic facilitation like live illustration I actually I think I love what I think people fear the most about it which is like the time constraint because I hate the idea of like having to work on a painting for like a day like I just hate waiting for the paint to dry so I can do my next layer <laughs> like I just want to <laughs> like do it and then it's done So when I do an illustration for a conference or uh, a day long, like I know I have that time constraint and I have to do within that time and whatever is done within that time is done. Like there's no picking at it forever. There's no editing. There's no all this like extra work to it. So I didn't actually draw a whole lot before getting into this. Like I said, I did painting and other things, but I didn't actually like, you know, draw things, but it kind of is perfect from like my, you know, impatience when it comes to my creative projects too, because I like the immediacy of it and the like short time frame. I think the other things that's different about this, Ashton, just listening to you is, is that the meshing of it with facilitation, right? Because in facilitation, mm-hmm. while you, um, you know, uh, often attempted, right, to, express your own thoughts and desires and things you want it's really about the group and and the group process and the ideas and 
the insights that they're they're putting together. And it sounds that like it's not just your impatience, but also that this brings together for you that delightful place of being able to use a skill that you have um, with another skill that you have and really allowing other people to express themselves, maybe in ways that they, you know, that they wouldn't be able to express themselves uh, all alone. Absolutely. Like I love the like imperfectness of it as well is like everyone sees everything. Like you say something and I'm drawing it or, or writing the words to it or both probably. Right. And it's, it's still novel in a lot of spaces where we don't always get to interact with our own wisdom or knowledge in the same way and see how it connects with everything else. Everybody else said, I just find that so fascinating. And you know, I, I can show like potential clients examples of my work, but I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in the room. And that's like the magic of it. Like, I can't mm. tell you what it's going to look like. I have no idea. And sometimes the conversations that we enter are complex and messy. And sometimes I have to warn people like, you know, here's some graphics that I've done for, for things, but you know, the, if the conversation is messy and complicated, like the graphic might end up being a little bit of that too, before we get into like a different iteration of it on the second half of the day or whatever it is. Right. Um, you know, and there's been times where we like, you know, ditched what I started, like, you know, a quarter of the way through the day and started fresh because there was just so much stuff that it was all over the place. And we like, oh, okay, we need to say, take a step back and, and bring these ideas together, like closely connect those things together you know, so it's, I love this sort of process of whatever happens, happens. And I love it when I can work with people who can trust in that process too, uh, which is sometimes a bit of a challenge. I'm not right, going to lie, yeah. asking them to like trust someone they haven't worked before just to sort of do this creative process with them. Uh, you know, I do, I do honor that there's a lot of trust there that needs to be built before entering the room. But um, yeah, it's, I, I, I definitely love that sort of process and, and allowing people to feel heard and seen in a way that they don't normally experience. It's interesting to me that you, you're facilitating and doing the, uh, the graphic recording at the same time. I've experienced sort of dual facilitation with that, with one person doing the drawing and another and another person managing the group process. So that sounds to me daunting, actually, Ashton, to, to do yeah, that. Well, I'm going to say I'm no magician. Usually I do have a co-facilitator because uh -huh. it's extremely difficult, extremely, extremely difficult to do both. Usually if I have to be in a situation where I do both, which is not very often, I will say, um, the graphic has a lot more pre, maybe there's like, maybe there's a template that I'm working on, or there's like a, there's some pre-drawing things that are happening if I have to do both, because, you know, when you are drawing at a board, your back is at least semi-turned yeah. to the group and you can't honor it. Cause we know that, you know, a good portion, whatever the percentages of language is not spoken. It's like the vibe, it's the body language, right? So, you know, I can't see that and I can't feel the energy all the time if my back is slightly turned or fully turned to the group. So having a co-facilitator and having this sort of song and dance that you can have with them 
uh, is pretty important. Definitely having, having both in the room, but I like that I came from a facilitation background because I'm able to support and pull things back mm-hmm. when we need to, rather than coming from like, cause I, I felt like the transition for me was actually not as difficult as you might think it would be because I had a lot of that listening, the thinking and those facilitation skills, like had honed those over like number of years before moving into this work. So, you know, I don't want to minimize it, but I also feel like I just kind of had to like beef up my visual communication skills and pair them with the skills I already have rather than I feel like it would be quite a more difficult to do if you came in, you know, definitely not impossible. Lots of people do it, but I feel like it'd be more challenging if you came in from like an art background, let's say, and now you're trying to figure out the listening, the thinking, the communication ideas, how they connect to one another. It might be a bit of a, a steeper learning curve, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense to me coming from a facilitation background that, 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 um, I mean, there is that, there is that point, right? When you're listening and you're, you're having those conversations with people and they're struggling to get a concept across. And then when you as a facilitator can, in my case, put it into some words for them to try, um, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work because it's not just about recording you know verbatim what they say but trying to get the meaning mm-hmm. um, of what the, of what they're saying uh, so there's there's that point of doing that which I think is a facilitation skill that um you you get with experience I, I it's it's very easy to I think to be taught you know well it, well this is how you do facilitation this is how you yeah. set up a room this is how you organize your yeah. day things like that but that that skill of listening coalescing coalescing um and as you said thinking then giving somebody back words or or an image in your case to see does that actually express what it was that you were trying to say Mm-hmm. That is um, an ex- you know an experience thing, and in, in some case maybe it's a it's a yeah you know, it's a skill talent. Maybe it's a um, way of thinking thing that not everybody has access to right away. So sounds like what you're saying is if you add that to what you're then what you're doing, you're bringing an, another level um, over someone who's you know coming in. And yes, I'm really good at making a, a graphic image that expresses an idea, but I'm not necessarily good at hearing and coalescing the idea right so yeah like of course I'm sure it just comes with practice and being in those spaces consistently for sure but I feel like I just didn't have that learning curve that maybe others would yeah but yeah yeah. hey Ashton so tell us about when when you do graphic recording um one of the things that amazes me when I see people do this is the ability to make an image out of some very simple shapes. Is that what you do? <laughs> yeah, at its simplistic form, sure, you could say yeah. that. <laughs> Not to downplay at all what you do, because I cannot do it at all. So I'm just, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, like, I call it the elements, like learning the basic drawing elements. And they're all things that everybody can learn in probably 15 minutes or less, right? Lines turn that line into an arrow, turn that line into a square or a circle, 
right? And how you can use a circle and a square and a line to like make a person because, you know, representing people is very important in a lot of these conversations, but we don't want to draw them because it freaks us out. (laughs) (laughs) So you can use these simple shapes to elevate the information because the information is still always going to be really important. We have to write down what people's ideas are, what's happening, what people are saying. So the information is always still going to be so important, but how you can use like simple drawing elements, like a line can help connect information. It can show flow and direction of information. It can show separation. It can highlight things and make them pop off the page just with the simple use of a line, right? So, you know, you could create a very, aesthetically pleasing, which doesn't always have to be, but if you want to create something that looks half decent, you know, you can create something with, with your words, a little bit of color and some lines to help show that flow. And it would, it would look like pretty decent. It would look pretty decent. And you're only using one of the drawing elements, right? So, you know, I, I think a lot of times when people see these, which, you know, they can look like works of art for sure, but at its core, elements a lot of them are the things that I just described um and I think a lot of people they when they look at it or they think oh I could never do that because I can't draw or I can't do this I or that. can't draw yeah that's the yeah that's it's such a common thing but I always like to walk people through after, especially after I have an opportunity to kind of teach them the drawing elements and then we pick them all out be like where did I use a line where did I use a square where did I use a person where did I use some color And you can see there's not a whole lot left over. (laughs) There might be some icons and some drawings and some things, but it's, I think when people see it as a whole, it freaks them out and they think they can't do it because they think, oh, well, everything is drawing. Like it's like, they just swap it all out. They're like, well, I can't do that because I can't draw, but you don't actually have to like learn how to draw a whole lot of stuff. Like in I kind of joke around, but I'm a very serious when I tell people that when I first started, because I didn't have a lot of the drawing skills, um, I just drew a light bulb on every single thing I did for like three years <laughs> because it was an icon that I knew how to draw, that I could draw quickly. I could draw confidently. And yeah. there's always like something, there's always like an aha moment or a big idea or something that comes up that you can highlight with a light bulb. I literally drew one on. And, and I think people, I was teaching an in-person workshop on this recently. And, and I, then I showed them exam, cause then I showed them examples of like how my skills developed over years. So I showed one from each year and I'm like, Oh, look, there's a light bulb in that one. Oh, look. And I didn't even plan it. I didn't even plan. <laughs> I didn't even look for the light bulbs to show the examples. I just happened to tell that story. And then we were looking through, I'm like, oh, look at all these light bulbs that are in all of these graphics, right? Um, right. So you can just sort of lean in, in on that. And you just have to get comfortable, which is building what we call like your visual vocabulary over time. So when you hear something, you have an image that you just, it's not that you just think about that image. You already know how to draw on it because you've drawn it before, right? Especially when it comes to like complex ideas that a lot of, I'm sure your listeners are like, find themselves in, right? Like, how do you draw resiliency? How do you draw a community? How do you draw vision and things like that? And then you can build your visual vocabulary of these like more kind of complex ideas. Like, how would you draw those things? Um, But I think people think a lot of times it's like, that's the first time I've ever drawn something like that before. No, that's not the case. 
<laughs> I've already probably drawn resiliency in 10 different ways over 10 years, multiple, multiple times, right? It's just a matter of what does it mean for that group and how can I change it in a way or connect it and use it in a way that's going to resonate for that group. That makes sense. And that's that facilitation skill again. That that's that listening and and helping them to coalesce what it really means to them. Because I can think of like with resiliency, they might be saying, you know, in this organization our resiliency is broken or right. in this organization our resiliency is a goal. Um yeah. and there's you know, there's lots of different ways I can imagine then you would you would show that differently. Mm-hmm. But do you use words as well? Do you put words into your into your recordings? Absolutely. You know, um, as famous and as cliche, content is king, right? Um, And I think people then when they look at it, and like I said earlier, they think, oh, they can't do it. And I'm like, yeah, but if you strip away its element, there's still a lot of content there. There has to be, right? Because you want to make sure that you're honoring the group and what they're saying, right? And that's not always going to be directly transformed into like a visual metaphor, (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm, It'd be mm-hmm. cool if you if you if everything they said was like a visual metaphor, but like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and and now you just have a whole graphic of just visual metaphors like icebergs everywhere <laughs> or the trees. <laughs> right. With the Which roots, might, you know. <laughs> and they might mean different things to different people, right? So so exactly. anchoring them with some language. Exactly. I, you know, I I don't always tend to quote people. I'm very kind of careful in terms of quoting people because sometimes people don't want to be like singled out for that one thing that they said in that meeting. Um, But the great thing about when I'm in these facilitation type settings, I can communicate with people. I can ask for clarification. I can go up to somebody on a break and say, I wrote this on a sticky note. This is what you said. Can I just like, are you okay? I I felt like that was such a, such a powerful thing do you want me to use your exact language? What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And we can have a conversation about it, right? So it's really beautiful when I can interact and engage with people and get that clarification and see and and be able to pull people back to like, you know, pun intended, the bigger picture, right? And, uh-huh. and, and, and I like in the beginning when I can chat with people and throughout, like inviting them to come up and engage with me and and tell me if I missed something or if uh, I, I always like to infuse humor in everything I do. So I'll say, usually like there's one of you in every room that likes to correct people's spelling. Like now's your time to shine, right? <laughs> you never get that moment that today is your day, right? So, you know, and sometimes I work with interesting groups of people. Like I did one earlier this year where it was like indigenous groups from all across Canada that met together to talk about land conservation and some of them really wanted things in their own language, right? And they all speak all these different languages. So, you know, here I am like cramming in these little translations of like water and land and and community and things like that for them because that was really important. Did the graphic get a little crowded? Yeah, sure. But it didn't matter at the end of the day, like the quote unquote beauty of it, making sure it's all spaced nice and like looks nice, um, still looked pretty awesome. And even better that they were able to put their own languages into it as well, right? So, you know, it's really at the end of the day, not about me at all is trying to elevate them and whatever ends up looking like, that's what it ends up looking like. So long answer to your question, yes. Words. <laughs> lots words. of words, lots of language. Words. 
I, I, you know, sometimes I'll focus on, depending on what's happening, I'll just focus on writing down a lot of stuff and then see how things connect, right? And then you maybe use some lines and some graphics and images to highlight different ideas and concepts um, that are kind of coming out that may be some of those ones that maybe a lot of people are saying the same thing or what I'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's highlight this now that I've already written down the words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Add a graphic to it later if if worst yeah. case scenario, yeah. And and then do you allow people to come up and sort of and interact with the the graphic or put put a sticky note where they where they feel something is important or or um yeah yeah sometimes engage yeah. with it yeah it kind of depends like you know every like I'm sure you you know have your very like okay these this is sort of my facilitation style but like it always like morphs and change depending on the group right so uh-huh. you know if I'm there. And we know, like, we always, I always like to like give people an opportunity to engage with it, even if they don't feel comfortable speaking out loud, right? Because sometimes these topics are very um, close to their heart, you know, maybe issues they've been dealing with their whole lives and they're sitting down talking about it. And it can be like a bit traumatizing sometimes, right? So, um, you know, I, I like to be able to give people opportunity to come up to me. I always welcome people to like engage with me in any way that they want to, but also provide people like sticky notes, right? Write something down, you know, stick it on there. You don't have to say anything to me. I'm not going to like bug you about it if you don't uh-huh. want me to, you know, so that they feel like they can still engage with it um, and giving people multiple ways to, to be able to make sure that their voice feels heard in that process. So, you know, it kind of depends like every time, I, I work with a facilitator, we're putting something together for an organization. You know, those are some questions that I like, I like to ask and find out how people are, um, how, what's the vibe of people coming into the room and how can we make sure that they feel heard and valued and that this graphic doesn't just have a result in the moment, which is really amazing, but how are they going to use it afterwards as well? Um, yeah. That's, that's a, Great, because I wanted to ask about that. How do people use these afterwards? And to get into that, a yeah. question I want to ask is, so what what medium do you use? Because mm-hmm. every room is different, right? So how do you, uh, how how do you, what do you do this on and yeah. with? Yeah, so um, I, I think like a lot of folks, I kind of have my pre and post COVID sort of way of working. Yeah. Pre-COVID was 100% on paper with markers or on boards with markers. Um, mm. And I know on our pre-call for those listeners, get a little insight. You were talking about when you go into a space and there's blank walls and you think you just hit the jackpot, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely love a big, beautiful room with lots of like uninterrupted wall space is amazing. But usually I just bring my own wall um, and I, I keep it pretty low tech non-complicated I just have large pieces of foam board and stands that I can just put tape the boards together if I have big boards I just unfold them and pin my paper to them and put them on the stands and now you have uh however many boards you have you know maybe like sometimes I'll have like several eight foot long boards or one 16 foot long board or something and you can move it around the room like I never really worry about where I'm going to be I'm like we'll always find a place because I can just move my wall like we don't have to design the room in a way that 
I have to make sure that people can see it because that's the only blank wall that we can use, right? So even when people tell me, oh yeah, there's lots of wall space, I never believe them unless I can see it <laughs> beforehand and I just bring all my stuff. You know, ideally if it's local, I can just pack up my mom van and just, get, you know, yeah. drive, drive a couple hours and I'm there. But when I'm traveling long distances, like before COVID, I was like on a plane three or four times a month um, traveling for all these these uh, engagements. So it's a little bit more challenging, but yeah, um, there's just something really beautiful about the tangibility of paper and markers and the novelty of people experiencing it, um, especially when it's so large. Um, so yeah, I still love to do that. Anytime I get a chance to do paper, I will, but um, of course, with COVID, I had to move everything online. So I still yeah. do quite a bit online, um, honestly. So instead of seeing like my face in a Zoom screen, you would see my drawing screen instead and people can engage with it in that way and see the drawing. So, so are you doing that? that on a with an ipad or something what do you how do you how do you do yeah, that yeah i don't most people yeah use ipads and i don't have anything against um ipads i just never owned one and huh. didn't, i i'm like i was looking a couple years back i was looking for an all-in-one device i didn't want to have an ipad for drawing and then my separate computer for this or that so i was looking for something that was like i want to be able to have it as my main computer like the minimalist in me wanted just like one device <laughs> So I landed on a Microsoft product called a Surface. Um, I've now since upgraded to a Surface Studio, which is basically like drawing on a small uh, TV screen. <laughs> it's very large. Do you use a pen like... or is it your finger? No, no, it's a, a stylus. It's a, a digital a stylus. Pen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for people that use iPads and like the Apple Pencil is really great. I hear really great things about it. And it has like pressure sensitivity too. It's like the attack is just wild for some of these programs, but I actually use my drawing program at, in quite a minimalist um, way because everything is so quick. You don't have time to use all the fancy pens and all the, yeah. Pens. Yeah. So I actually really only use like one or two pens at any given time and a couple of colors. And then that's pretty much it. Like, it's not, I, I don't use it for all its frills, but yeah. So that's sort of my, my mediums that I, I work on. And what was your other question? Can't remember now. Well, then, then, so afterwards now, oh, yeah. the, the client, the organization, mm -hmm. they have this graphic, which is the, which is their memory, right? Of yeah. what happened in the meeting and, and how they're going to move forward. So how have you seen clients using, using that as it, and so they were, they use pictures, uh, photographs. Um, mm. how, how do they do that? Yeah. So when I'm in person, I always take a high quality photo. And then when I get back to my studio, I clean it up a tiny bit. I'm not mm. the best at Photoshop. It's like literally the only thing I know how to do is clean it up, clean up a photograph. <laughs> Uh -huh. I know how to take it so like the lighting is decent and so I don't have to spend too much time editing it, but I always provide a high quality photo. Um, some folks will hang it up and like hang up the original in like an office space and I'll get back to that in a second. But the the digital version is really nice too because they can print off the copies. They can, like I just actually had a client um, want to re-engage me for something next year and they said, oh, your graphic is hanging in our office. And I was like, oh, cool. Can you like send me a picture? Because I'd like to see it. <laughs> but I didn't realize that they actually printed it Um and, and hung it and like put it on like a, like a thicker, like a, like, like mounted it, I guess it's called. Uh -huh. 
and they and then they put it in their office space. So it wasn't the original, which is what I thought they were going to send me a picture of. They actually had it printed a little bit larger. I'm not sure exactly the size, but not as large as my original. But they have this. It's nice and and right in their office space. As soon as you enter, anybody enters their space, it's it's right there, like in their little waiting room, which I thought was really cool. Um, so the the digital printed versions, even though it was on paper, is a beautiful way to be able to share it easily be able to put on all websites, put on your social media, um, if it's something that you can share widely. And then also back to the paper version, which you could do digital as well. Like I try to encourage people, like if depending on what this session was, if it's something where there's action items or there's like, we are going to do mm -hmm. these things or it's our vision or whatever it is, I try to encourage people, even though they always tell me they won't do it, but I really hope they do is actually write on it and put or put sticky notes on it or like like hang it in your hallway or hang it in your lunchroom and then like actually write on it we are doing this next month or no we can't do this anymore because after we researched it it's not possible right now let's pin it for next conversation or something like so, so to help make the it conversation going a bit um you know, people are like, oh, it's beautiful. We don't want to mess with it. And I'm like, no, but like, that's the whole purpose. It's, sometimes I feel like I should make it not as nice looking for that reason. So that maybe they will like actually like write on it. Um, you know, but I've had some over the years, some, some positive feedback from when people do actually do that. Um, and it gives them this ability to inform people of what's happening. So when you go in lunchroom and you see something written on it, you're like, oh, there's something, there's a new update or there's something going on. And what I've heard from like employees when we've gone in and done like employee engagement and stuff, people have said, I, I would rather know if it's happening or not. Even if it's not happening, I still want to know because a lot of times you get into these situations, you say, I want this thing to happen in the workplace. Um, and the higher ups go, mm -hmm, yeah, we heard you, but then it doesn't happen, but they might not know there's a reason why it couldn't happen, or they might mm -hmm. not know that's going to happen, but not for six months. And then they get disgruntled. They feel like that meeting they went to was a waste of time because no, exactly. Them, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So even if it's not what you might consider positive or like, I don't know if I want to share this on the graphic because it's not like a nice thing to say. Um, I, I've heard a lot of positive feedback from people when they have done that, right? They're like, oh, actually, after some thought or budgets or whatever it is, we can't actually do that thing. So using it as a bit of an accountability tool, I think is such a, a beautiful way to keep that conversation going because like, I feel like sometimes people aren't using them to their ability after something is over and it can be uh, leveraged in such a, a beautiful way to help keep the work moving forward and people actually see what that looks like. Yeah, I think that ha that happens no matter what, right? That that with no matter how you re record a meeting or an, an event, there are times when the event happened and the organization just moves in a different direction and then people it feeds into that idea that well that was just the flavor of the month that wasn't something that we were serious about yeah but I, i'm sure that there are times also where you where you can put into 
the graphic a place for people to record you know come back in yeah. three months or six months and just you know yeah. make it make it a living document and not just a work of art I mean it's it's interesting isn't it because because there is that temptation to look at and say well this it is a work of art but it's mm-hmm. it's it's really the product of people's ideas and passions and and uh, where they want to go mm-hmm. um, or and uh, it's a product not a work of art even exactly. though I'm sure they're be- they're exactly. gorgeous right yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I always try to. And sometimes when I if I know they're going to be using a lot of the digital ones after and that but they still take the paper, I always I honestly tell every single person this, I say, if in three years, this is collecting dust in the corner of your office, and you're like, what was that again? throw it in the garbage. You have my permission to throw <laughs> it away. Because I feel like because people honor them so much and because they feel like they're works of art, they don't want to get rid of them. And like the minimalist in me is like, please throw them away. It was a moment in time. You have the photograph, which you've printed and you have up. It's fine. You don't like it's it the the paper versions because they're so big, like they don't always have a place to live. And that's okay. It's okay to get rid of them because you always have the digital version to do something with later right? Like they are not meant to be precious. They're to be capture that conversation in time. And you hopefully have another way to be able to keep that conversation going. But if that isn't hanging the original and it's just collecting dust, please, I literally tell everybody, please throw this away. Because I feel like if I don't, they're like, no, we could never. And I'm like, yeah, but in three years when it's collecting dust, you have my little voice hopefully in your head saying it is okay to throw this in the garbage <laughs> or recycle it. Hopefully. Recycle it. Recycle, <laughs> recycle it. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ashton, what have you learned about yourself in doing this work? Oh my gosh. I, yeah, it is. It's quite an interesting opportunity to do a lot of like self-development and growth. Like every time you do a project, because you get to learn about yourself in sometimes that industry or that issue and you get educated sometimes Uh in in those issues where there was one I was doing last year that really sticks out to me um and it was it was a bit of a hot topic in the media but you know you never really know how you feel about these things right because you hear both sides and you're like you just make a decision on how you your opinion is going to be right And so when I was in this room with these folks for two full days talking about this particular issue and hearing their lived experience, you form a pretty strong opinion that's not just an opinion, but it's backed up with someone's lived experience and like, you know, with everyone collectively, like hundreds of years of this experience, right? So you know, still a bit one-sided, of course, but, you know, you can't beat hearing someone's lived experience. And mm. that's something that I've really been thinking a lot lately. So you kind of, I kind of end up like going in cycles of like things that I think a lot about for periods of time. And I almost feel like personally for me, because of these experiences I've had a lot in the last year, um, is I don't want to form an opinion until I've heard someone's lived experience or multiple voices of lived experience, because how can you truly form an opinion if it's just like 
a, a headline on, on a news article, but hearing wow. someone's story, right? Be like, this is why this issue is important to me. And this is my history with it. You're like, oh, okay. So, you know, in its most simplistic form, maybe just like the value of stories, like we all, I think, you know, experience that. But the, it's that lived experience that's just really been kind of taken a hold on me a lot lately and how I think about how I form opinions about things um, with or without that lived experience. So anyways, you know, so that's just that's profound. One, yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's, you know, that's just one example of like all the interesting, like, you know, I'm a very opinionated about cybersecurity. I know a lot. I know a lot about cybersecurity because I am in those, I'm in that circle a ton. And I actually messaged someone uh, on Facebook because she's traveling and she kept posting all these pictures of where she is. And I just messaged her. I was like, can you please stop doing that? I was like, I don't want to like freak her out because she's on this beautiful vacation, but I just wrote her. I I just had to, I was like, can you please like just not post where you are? That would be great. Like, I love seeing your pictures, but please don't do it. So, and you know, and it, and it's unfortunate because we only like, we, like, I, I know so much about how the bad guys think. Like I know too much. Right. So I'm, mm. I'm paranoid about everything when it comes to cyber protection and protecting yourself from cyber threats. And I don't even do half of the things that I should be doing to protect myself. Right. So, and I have a lot of knowledge about this now. Right. So, you know, you work. educated about a lot of different things, um, become opinionated about a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, that, that you definitely, it, it is such a, beautiful opportunity to learn about so many different industries and, and, and issues. Definitely. Wow. Wow. Ashley, how can people find you? Yeah. If you want to like check out some of my graphic facilitation work, you can head over to mindseyecreative.ca. I'm pretty easy to find. My name is, I guess, fairly unique. (laughs) So uh, you know, type in my name and any of the channels and you can find me pretty easily. LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I like, I like chilling on there. It's a good place to be. So people can certainly, um, hit me up on there as well. But if you want to see some examples of my work or all that good stuff, you can check out my website at mindseyecreative.ca. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And, um, I know we have, um, quite a few listeners in Canada. So, um, I would think, especially if someone's going to be doing some facilitation in Canada and they're looking for a partner, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you want to hit up Ashton for that. Yeah, please. Absolutely. I do. I do have actually the majority of my client base is in the US though, but still anytime okay. that I get to work, like I'm in the Maritimes, anytime I get to work in the Maritimes or in Toronto, Ottawa, any of those places, it's such a, such an awesome time for sure. Yeah. That's great. Hey, what's your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I feel like there's so many jobs and careers out there that you just don't know exist, right? Like Ah. who in the world would have ever thought that I'd basically be like a professional doodler, right? And I get to travel and like work with all these cool people doing this very obscure thing, right? So I think like, you know, the I'm not sure how to to formulate this in words, but something along the lines of like, just look at 
like just go and experience things and talk with people about different work that they have and what jobs and what led them to those jobs. Because I feel like hopefully it's changing. But when I was younger, there's like, there's just such a limited scope of like what you can be when you grow up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And there's so many very weird jobs like mine that you can do and have a great time doing it. And you don't have to be limited to, oh, well, I'll do that art thing on the weekends and I'm not going to make money, money doing it. Right. So anytime that I get an opportunity to go and talk to like a career day with kids, like I always try to do them because I'm like, I do this really weird thing. And like, there's just so many opportunities and very obscure jobs that are such a fun time that you can do. So just start like looking around and talking to people and finding out they're how they kind of ended up where they are and all these different jobs and careers, because like, I don't know how else you can find out about these obscure things until like, I just fell into this by accident. I didn't seek out that this was a thing. Right. And now it's like my life's purpose is talking about the power of like visual communication. Right. So it's just, it's such a funny thing. And I just hope that um, young people can kind of like, just do a little bit of that extra research and talking to people like things that aren't necessarily Google-able. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to probably still get a lot of those mainstream kind of jobs, but there's so many interesting and unique opportunities out there. Just start chatting with people and finding out what those might be and, and just sort of play around with them for sure. Wow, thank you. Great advice. Ashton Rodenheiser, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had such a good time. This is Bella Agobar, and I'd like to thank Ashton Rodenheiser for being my guest at the edges of lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. You can find Ashton at mindseyecreative.ca and at https colon backslash backslash sketchnote.school or you can find her on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com where you will find lots of great new content every week. The Ages of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.